Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. There is a place where time stands still, where nature is harsh and demanding, where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. Get in the guts, Barry. All you've got to do now is pass the Australian culture test. Three simple questions, three correct answers, and you go through that doorway to the greatest little country And good morning, it's Annie here who is going to be talking to you about uh, the Australian film industry. That's what we do on Showreel on 3CR at 11am on 3CR. Now, I've got a couple of things to do this morning. Uh, two of them is uh, uh, focusing on uh, the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival, which starts on the 19th tomorrow and goes till the 30th. It's a pretty uh, fantastic program and uh, today we're going to hear from the director of uh, Tommy Emmanuel, The Endless Road and also first up uh, Fiona Cochran who is uh, the director of a film about Strange Tenants and we were just listening to the Strange Tenants, that was their song Grey Skies Over Collingwood and uh, they were a remarkable ska band during the uh, 80s And actually, they still play now, and uh, they've incorporated some of their own children in this uh, fabulous band, which was a highly political band, and using the vehicle of SCAR to uh, get people off their seats. And uh, they were the one of those groups that uh, even men dance to, because they're impossible not to dance to. Great band. And... um, uh, but before we do, I've got a couple of things to tell you about. Uh, one that's very important, which is uh, an AFTRS, uh, that's the Australian Film Television Radio School, and uh, Film Victoria are have got a uh, speakers coaching clinic and internship opportunity. Now, they're going to have a two-day event in Melbourne on July the 27th and the 28th. That's a Saturday and Sunday. Uh, and uh, it's a comp- they're doing a competition for an internship uh, this year with Social Garden, who run a regular internship program called the Social Garden Sprout Program. This is an internship for 12 weeks, two days per week part-time, and the possibility leading to employment at the at the end. Now, more than 75 of Victoria's biggest and brightest industry professionals will speak at this conference on the uh, 27th and 28th, an initiative of the AFTRS and uh, the principal partner, uh, Film Victoria. And it includes 
those responsible for hiring on some of Melbourne's biggest productions, such as Neighbours, MasterChef and The Block. Uh, they've confirmed speakers uh, include co-creator of The Block, David Barber, The Block's executive director, Justin Stuzaka and Tasman Zimkin, one of the key creatives behind the hits, The Cattering Show and Get Cracking. Uh, Joshua Taylor, co-writer of the highest grossing Australian film of the year to date, which is The Top End Wedding, uh, sought after studio director John Olb and comedy editor Ben Erickson, whose main uh, recent credits include The Weekly and Mad as Hell. They're also going to speak. So you can see that this is a big day uh, a conference for people who are active filmmakers. So uh, uh, important... Uh, is also that uh, the internship uh, entrance must make a short video UGC-style 15 to 30 seconds uh, film clip and submit it before lunchtime on Sunday. So it's it's pretty competitive. Uh, They're also going to offer coaching clinics and one-on-ones with industry practitioners to help with specific career and professional questions. And uh, they're saying that people need to register uh, and uh, you can do that uh, if you go to their website, the uh, AFTRS's website, www.aftrs.edu.au forward slash short courses forward slash make it. But I'm sure if you just went to their website, you'll be able to see the cost is $120, including lunches and networking and drinks. And uh, you can register uh, for this by going online. So you can get all the details of this. Now, luckily for us, we're going to be able to offer a lucky person a pass to both days. So if you were to ring up the station 94198377, 94198377, then you will be able to get that uh, pass. We need to get your phone number so I can get back to you with the details regarding how and where and what. Okay, so th- that's a big opportunity, a great opportunity for a person who's actually actively a filmmaker. So, and the other thing I wanted to tell you about was uh, that uh, we might be having our Melbourne Documentary Film Festival right now, but uh, also for the over the next weekend. Uh, is the Castlemaine Film Festival. Uh, We don't know very much. Uh, We only got the information very recently, so uh, couldn't uh, do anything about it more than tell you that it's on. Uh, But it's got a lovely program, July the 19th, that's Friday, and it goes to, uh, uh, let's see, it goes to uh, Monday. And uh, the uh, one of the programs highlights is Island of the Hungry Ghosts, which is a fantastic film, I'll have to say. That's on uh, Friday night. The Distant Barking of Dogs, Youth Unstoppable, uh, Happy Sad Man, On Her Shoulders, Richard Flanagan's Life After Death, Le Grand Ball, uh, Babies, uh, The Final Quarter, which is the Adam Goods film about Adam Goods. uh, And uh, you can easily get there because it's only 90 minutes drive from Melbourne. And uh, if you're not at the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival, you might like to do a cruise to the country. It's at the Theatre Royal Castle, Maine, and uh, it's uh, running from Friday the 19th to 
Sunday the 21st and uh, you can look it up by uh, just going to Castlemaine Documentary Film Festival 2019 and you'll find out more. But now we're going to go to Fiona Cochran and Scarred for Life. How did you get involved in this project? Um, I have known Bruce Hearn for over many years um, as... In, in passing, not well, but over many years. And he mentioned that he was um, there was a book being done about The Strange Tenants. And I had been a fan of The Strange Tenants back in the 80s and mm. used to go along. Pretty hard not to see, actually. Yeah, exactly. And um, so uh, Lorraine Downer was writing this book about them and so we just sort of joked about really um, making a documentary about them. And then I started thinking, oh, that might actually be... A good thing to do. So uh, how did you approach this film? I mean, obviously someone else had already started doing the research because there was a book. Uh, yes. Well, the book wasn't out, but the book was being written at that time by Lorraine. Um, so did you poach her research? That's what no, I didn't poach any. I, I looked at one. She sent me one um, interview to have a look at, um, but I didn't really, and I didn't read the book at all before making the film because I didn't want to be influenced by it. Um, and I'm... Sure, it's a very different thing to the film, but um, yeah. So, and she was taking a different sort of bent with it, but I just thought it would be a good way to. Um, well, we were thinking initially about putting the two together, but it all ended up a little bit hard. So the book came out. They had a recent um, CD that came out, or album that came out, and the film's a sort of third one. We were thinking of packaging them, but they all just they had came their own out life separately. instead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I was aware that they'd put out a new CD, which I found very fa- uh, fascinating. So the idea that there's a, a, a film that's going to be shown at the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival called Scarred for Life uh, is actually really interesting. It's very interesting to revisit the political time that they began in and also their personal story. Yeah, because they were, unlike many bands, although, you know, certainly some come from this band, but they were the background, but they were very much working class um, boys from Collingwood. Yeah, what is it? Uh, class, clan and Collingwood. Exactly, yes, um, who, you know, had a musical background as well with their mother and things and started singing together from a young age and then got really inspired when Two-Tone Scar came to Australia in the early 80s and decided to set up their own ska band. And in actual fact, they did appear to be almost a lonesome uh, band of that sort at that time. Well, I think around that time or soon after, there were other ska bands in Australia. and in Oh, the, and also the use of brass. Yeah. In um, piece, in um, bands, which yep. was interesting too. Yeah. I think they might have influenced that. Yeah, but they were also definitely more political than yeah. most of the other ska bands. And most of the, the majority of the other ska bands played the more traditional ska music or etc. whereas they wrote their own and wrote more political stuff. Yeah, uh, and they are an amazing collection of songs. Mm. Is there a songbook that go, you should put a, a songbook out as well? <laughs> well, let the band do that bit. Yeah. yeah. So uh, how did you approach uh, the script writing for this? Well, we didn't write a script, basically. Okay. I just went and started interviewing, interviewing them and really sort of creating work, creating a script in my head in terms of sort of working out what were the interesting things to try and follow up through it. Yeah. What, um, you, what questions you would ask yeah. if you were interested? Yeah. And I, and I went through lots of different questions, so we had a range of things because I didn't really know exactly what it was going to be. Um, 
And, yeah, then we formulated and kept rewriting in the edit room with the editor. Mm. And, and did you uh, have a, a difficulty finding um, the uh, archival stuff, that, any of that? So how did that go? Yeah, that was difficult because, of course, they were a band that didn't have record companies and didn't have a lot of money and big clips and all of those sort of things from the 80s. So, you know, the best clips we had were VHS clips and things. So there wasn't an enormous amount of, you know, great quality material. Um, but we just that, but they did have you know their own archive with some of it that they allowed us to use, and then to illustrate a lot of the background of scar music and of skinheads and of a whole lot of other that things was fascinating. That are in it. We then had to research a whole lot of archival stuff and get archival stuff. Wasn't yeah. that interesting? The def- uh, I wasn't completely over the um, uh, distinctions between uh, gradings of. Um, <laughs> I love the idea of rude boys. Yeah. Yeah, rude boys as yeah. opposed to skinhead. Nazi skinheads. Nazi, Nazi skinheads. And, yeah. yeah, it's fantastic. And the whole idea of going around the country with your own ready-made audience. Yeah. That was such a cute idea. That was so nice. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Everything about this film is uh, a fascinating uh, reprisal of 1980s, 90s, and now the, this idea of their politic uh, in their new incarnation is fascinating. Yeah, and the whole family, you know, that, that they have survived and grown together and now they've got their children playing in the band and there's a whole, you know, different atmosphere with it too in 30 years later, 36 years later. That's right, and uh, particularly for um, 3CR audiences, I think it's pretty fascinating that uh, the politics that uh, these uh, brothers consistently showed has a communist root in their uh, grandfather and then their uh, parents. Yep. Yeah, that, that was, it's an enlightened political uh, working class family. Yep, and absolutely. Yeah, it's absolutely fascinating and it's really worth going to see. Good. When's it on? It's on um, Wednesday 24th of July at the Nova Cinema at, I think it's 6.15. Yep. Yep. At uh, the Melbourne Documentary Documentary Film Film Festival. Festival. Thank you very much for talking to me. Thanks, Annie. You're on Showreel with Annie and we are talking to a couple of different filmmakers who are related to uh, having their films shown at the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival. Now, it's lucky enough to talk to Jeremy Dillon, who's the director of Tommy Emmanuel, The Endless Road, and that is exactly what we're listening to. you get involved in this project? Well, I've known Tommy Emanuel pretty much all of my life. My father was his agent and promoter for a lot of years, so I've sort of grown up, you know, around Tommy through the years and being a constant getting to experience uh, him as a performer and as, a, as an artist. And a few years ago, I guess it's coming up on four years ago now, um, 
he had gotten to a stage in his life, I think partly was because of the birth of his daughter, Rachel, where he was feeling really reflective and starting to open up and look back on his life and, you know, in a way that he hadn't really done before, hadn't really been comfortable doing before. And I had just written a magazine profile about Tommy that Tommy's manager had seen and really liked. And Tommy had seen the previous documentary that I'd made. Uh, it was called The King of Broken Hearts. And I think it was the combination of those two things and Tommy being in the headspace that he was in. He actually approached me about making the film and asked me whether I'd be interested in doing it. And I was incredibly flattered and I immediately could see the potential of it as a film. Tommy's such a like charismatic, big presence and a visually compelling performer. Um, but I wanted to make sure we weren't going to be just doing a film that was like an hour and a half of people talking about what a great guitar player he is. So I went over to Nashville. I stayed with Tommy for a few days and we sort of talked a bunch of stuff out. And at the end of it, I said, listen, I really want to do this, but I've got to be sure that you're going to be willing to open up about everything, the dark side of your life, the mistakes you've made, all the stuff you've been through, the stuff that I knew about, which was a lot of the stuff around his addictions. And then I knew there was probably stuff that I didn't know about that came out, of, out as we were making the film. And he said, listen, I trust you. I'm willing to talk about everything. And so once I had that guarantee, we were sort of off to the races. And, and so uh, your filmmaking background, can you give us some insight into that? I mean, I've made a lot of music videos. That's probably, in terms of numbers of productions, that's probably the thing I've spent most of my time on. But in terms of feature films, I started out um, making films, I guess, about a little under 10 years ago now, without, when I was 20 years old, making uh, a film called Benjamin Snittlegrass and the Cauldron of Penguins. Uh, it wasn't a documentary, it was a scripted film. Mm. Uh, and it, to be honest, it's pretty bad. So I okay. made that film <laughs> and... You're a man that yeah. has great well, you know, titles, great titles. Well, I can't actually take credit for that. There's, there's a British film critic named Mark Kermode who came up with that title. And I got inspired to make the film after hearing the title. And, you know, I looked really fondly back on the process of making that film and I managed to rope Stephen Fry into narrating it, but the film itself is not good. And after I'd made it, I kind of felt like I needed to make another film straight away to prove that my potential as a, as a filmmaker was better than what the film I just made reflected. And I happened to be in the UK, in Liverpool, and I ran into a musician who I'd known for a few years and really admired named Jim Lauderdale, who's this Grammy-winning Americana sort of country singer-songwriter legend. And I'd known him, but I didn't really know much about his background. And as we were talking, he started to tell me these stories about his early life, and I realised, here is a great story. I don't have to worry about writing scripts because the story's already existing because it's real life. And he's interesting, so the film would have to be have a baseline level of interest, even if I really screwed my part up. So I kind of pitched him on me making a documentary about his life and career and music and spent the next two years sort of teaching myself how to make documentaries while I made that film. And that was really a lot of the process I learned on that project is what I took into the Tommy Emanuel film. Yeah, and it is pretty tight, the Tommy Emanuel film, Endless Road. Uh, I, it's really quite gripping in the sense that I mean, I haven't followed his career, but I, I found it 
absolutely fascinating, the early story, for example, beautifully put together. Thank you very much. It's really nice to hear that, especially from someone who's not coming into watching the film as like a die-hard Tommy Emmanuel film, because it's really important to me and to, and to my producer, Jamie, that we made a film that would resonate with people um, who aren't necessarily, you know, die-hard guitar nerds or, or Tommy Emmanuel fans going into it. I mean, that business about his father saying you could always be replaced was a very telling line, I'll have to say, and uh, would resonate with uh, workers, in fact, right across the world. Well, yeah, and it's, you know, it's interesting you draw that comparison because it, it shows the way that um, Tommy's father sort of treated the family like commodities to a certain extent, as like his meal ticket. And I remember hearing that line the first time, you know, I think it was before we had started making the film, and, you know, it can be sort of played off as a, as a joke, but mm. really, when you think about it, especially when you hear it in the, I think in the context that we put it in in the film, it's, it's exactly quite chilling, like hearing a, a father talk about his children like that. And uh, tell me about, uh, like you said, that uh, a person's fundamentally interesting, therefore you wouldn't need a script, the story will tell itself. But actually, that's not entirely correct, is it? Uh, because filmmaking isn't real life. It's actually a storytelling process. Tell us how you did uh, decide on the uh, process for making this film. Well, I think that's an excellent point you just made, Ben, because, you know, if you were to chronicle everything that had happened in Tommy Emanuel's life, the film would be 60-something years long because, you know, it, it, to get everything in there... Um, so you have to be selective. I mean, and, you know, narrative storytelling when you're writing a film is a process of invention. You start with a blank page and then you add and you add and you add. But documentary filmmaking is more of a process of selection and subtraction and refinement. If you start with someone's whole life and the innumerable stories you could potentially tell and then you have to kind of trim it down to focus on certain areas. And with Tommy... Um, there were sort of obvious, like, big moments in his life that, that we needed to focus on. There was the balance between his personal story and his music and the way that his personal story sort of fueled his music. And then I think we sort of hit on a couple of key sort of overarching story areas, one of which was um, the sort of cycles of fathers and sons. Yes, that's you know, exactly the, right. Was that something you brought yeah, out, or is it something that he he was already carrying with him? I mean, once you get into talking to Tommy, it becomes obvious pretty quickly that it weighs on him and is the thing that has informed his life probably more than any other single factor. I mean, from his the way his father raised him as a kid and sort of forced him, I guess, semi-unwillingly into the role of a performer... At a, at a very early age, um, through to the impact of the, the revelations after Tommy's father died, the stuff that came out about his father, the way that sort of, you could say that triggered the addictions that stayed with Tommy for years and years through the rest of his life and then would go on to affect Tommy's relationship with his own children, both in the sense that he was, in a way, trying to be the father that he never had when he was growing up, but then also the way that 
uh, the addictions compromise his ability to be the father that he wanted to be. And then in the other column, you've got Tommy's relationship with Chet Atkins, yes. whose music came along in Tommy's life around the time that Tommy's father died and became this huge inspiration that really fueled Tommy's creativity and the way he developed as an artist. And Chet was sort of the, the guy Tommy wanted to be. And getting to meet Chet, um, his first trip to Nashville, meeting Chet, was really getting the confidence to step out on his own and be Tommy Emanuel, the solo artist, instead of Tommy Emanuel, the guy on the sidelines playing guitar after Doug Parkinson and John Farnham. And then over the years, Chet really became a surrogate father to Tommy, and that relationship is such a core feature of the film. Yeah, it's terrific. So, it's absolutely terrific. It's It was also great for me to become acquainted with Jed Atkins, and it was also a really revealing uh, element regarding uh, Tommy Emmanuel's gentle and generous nature. Thank you. I mean, the, the Chet relationship, I feel like, is the emotional backbone of the film. Like, there's... Even when, you know, watching it now, obviously, you know, I made the film. I've now seen it like a hundred times, but I still get quite emotional in uh, some of those scenes between Tommy and Chet. And, that's, and you know, Tommy gets very choked up watching that, that section. And um, I think that resonates with anybody. You know, it's not even necessarily fathers and, and sons. It could be mothers and daughters, mothers and sons, fathers and daughters, just or even just like those quasi-familial mentor relationships you sometimes have with the people who've inspired you the most and, and helped turn you into the person that you are. I think it's, it's a real universal kind of relationship that resonates in the film. And yeah, it is. It's a very fascinating film. It's it's a really interesting film. And if, of course, you are a person who is particularly interested in Tommy Emmanuel and his music, it's even more so. The film's showing Friday, the 26th of July at 8.45 at the Nova, and it is featuring a Q&A with filmmakers. And it is part of the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival that runs starting tomorrow night at then on the 19th and uh, running to the 30th it's uh, m- the majority of the films are on at the Nova but some of them on particular days are at uh, the uh, Backlot Studios in Hague Street in Southbank. Uh, you can pick up a full program uh, in physical form at Nova uh, and probably other places as well but you can go online to mdwf.org au and you will be able to browse the extensive uh, program to check out what you're particularly interested in. Just uh, like to repeat uh, information about the Australian Film, Television and Radio uh, and Film Victoria's um, uh, early starter of career event, which is going to be on July the. Uh, 27th and 28th in Melbourne. It's going to be at the St Kilda Town Hall and it uh, is really just a fantastic showcase for anybody who is interested in uh, kick-starting their own uh, career in uh, filmmaking in the Australian film industry. It's got 75 of Victoria's biggest and brightest industry professionals doing uh, talks, doing uh, 
uh, one-on-ones. Uh, there's going to be a, a drinks networking event. There's going to be lunch, of course. Lots of things to learn, lots of things to uh, help you with your filmmaking career. If you're interested, it uh, costs $120 to register. You can go to uh, the AFTRS site and you'll find that there is a uh, aftrs.ed.au forward slash uh, short courses. You can find the information there. But we do have uh, a pass for uh, both days, lunch and networking drinks for one of our listeners. So if you want to give us a call on 94198377, you might be the lucky person. Now, uh, we're going to go out with uh, more of the Tommy Emanuel's Endless Road. Coming up next is uh, Published or Not. listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.